0: Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I am your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance. Strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, And today I've got my trusty sidekick co-host, Coach Michael Hanson, is in the house. Coach Hanson, say what's going on today. What's up, everybody? Happy to be back. Coach Hanson, real quick, before we get into this show, how has 2020 been for you?
1: 2020 is tough on everybody, but I think there's a lot of positives that you can find within it. And I think all of us crew... At least in some manner that we probably weren't
0: prepared to grow in. That's right. That's good. Good. Good uh, answer. This episode is—we're uh, definitely into 2021. 2020 is behind us. It's going to be good vibes only. Coach Hanson, with you moving forward on the team for behind sure. the team. We got great guests. We'll get to here in a second. We couldn't have a better guest to kick us off for the new year. And you know what? Right now, I'm going to give it to you, Coach Hanson. Won't you introduce our guest to the to our listeners today?
1: Yeah, um, a little rundown with our guest. Our guest um, currently serves as a head strength and conditioning coach at the University of Michigan, uh, working with softball, women's gymnastics, and men's soccer. He has served as a strength and conditioning coach at Michigan since 2009 when he started as a graduate assistant. Prior to that, he completed an internship at Baylor University and at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. Um, Over the years, he's contributed to our field via multiple articles and presentations. And so without further ado, we welcome coach Lou Portiazzo. Say hello to the listeners, Lou.
2: Hey guys, I appreciate you making some time to, to chat with me and, and reaching out. I'm happy to share whatever insights and thoughts that I can for, for you and your listeners and, and the greater community.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for, uh, for joining us today. Um, to kick us off, Lou, if you could do, explain to us and our listeners um, why you chose strength and conditioning as a profession, and then also how you found your way to the University of Michigan.
2: Yeah, you know, it's. I think a lot, like a lot of coaches, myself, I found uh, I found myself as an undersized athlete. Uh, I was and still am five six, maybe five seven on a good day. But as a five six, two hundred and ten pound college freshman offensive lineman, found it really really tough, even at the the Division three level, to to compete with, with uh, guys and teammates and and uh, opponents that were significantly larger than me. Uh, so I found it that challenging, but for me, the biggest motivation and success that I had in in high school and collegiate athletics was probably related to to my time in the weight room and and preparing for competition. And so as I went through undergrad and put on a couple pounds and tried to get as wide as wide as it was tall, you know, which is pretty darn wide, I, I realized that for me, my my path wasn't so much coaching sport; uh, it was it was coaching where I excelled and enjoyed the most, which is. In a a weight room, and so I started to explore what strength and conditioning was uh, what my options and opportunities were what academic uh, programs I needed to pursue and about midway through uh, my undergrad career I decided to switch out of physical education and pursue exercise science as a major. I started looking at various internships and was just really fortunate to land uh, my first internship at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs as my last graduation requirement for undergrad. So I left my Division III school in in New Jersey, drove uh, halfway across the country, landed in Colorado Springs in January of 2009 and realized uh, I know almost nothing as it relates to the profession. And I realized that pretty darn quick. And I was really fortunate and still am to have some some great mentors uh, during my first internship that, that helped me to really realize what the profession is about, what, the opportunity, what opportunities are out there to be successful, and, and what I can pursue uh, in this profession and how I can impact the, the athletes that I get to work with. Uh, so I took as much time as I could to, to in, embed and immerse myself in strength and conditioning and, and the coaching staff there and, and start to, to wrap my head around what the profession entailed. I did another internship at at Baylor, uh, working with football, which is my first and, and really only exposure to uh, Division One Power Five football. Uh, it was a great experience for a lot of reasons, and, and I owe a lot of credit to the staff that I worked with there, not only during my time, but since uh, since that time, I've realized how much I learned during that that short stint. And I ultimately, I ended up at at the University of Michigan uh, as a GA. And eleven and a half years later, I'm sitting in our our beautiful uh, newer uh, strength and conditioning uh, facility here, our weight room and and uh, cardio and indoor turf space. Uh, having this conversation with you, so uh, for me, it started as an undersized offensive lineman that that wanted a, an opportunity to compete with with guys that were bigger, faster, and stronger. Uh, and it's evolved into uh, my avenue to help others and and to impact their lives uh, as they prepare for sport and life beyond sport. Absolutely.
1: Um... You know, something about you. So I had the, just to give more context to our listeners, I had the privilege to intern um, under you and the staff at Michigan back in the fall of 2014, which is a crazy five and a half years ago now. Um, Mm. But something that I had noticed then, and I still notice now is, and it's always stood out to me, is that whether you're coaching a group or simply having a conversation with somebody, um, and it could be anyone, is I've always noticed that you're very meticulous and discerning with your words and perhaps consequently your demeanor is often calm and collected and i just think that that's like a huge contrast to our field that's kind of filled with boisterous personalities and a time where noise kind of attracts all the attention and so my question is what does that slow to speak quality that you have like where does that stem from
2: yeah uh, for me i think it's i spend a lot of time uh, self reflecting i think it's important and it's something that that i value for myself and in time alone and in my own thought uh, in my own thoughts and so one of the re- the realizations i had early on in in really in my life is that i am not uh i'm not very loud i don't project my voice tremendously well it's not a it's not a skill set that that comes easy to me i don't have a booming voice uh so i don't i try not to pretend to be something i'm not so I think, one, recognizing that and recognizing that that in and of itself is not a skill set that, that I, I possess, not that I can't work on it and it hasn't improved, but I'll never have the voice of, of one of my mentors, Bo Sandoval, or, or one of my former colleagues here in, in Tommy Gayfield. I'll never have that voice. Uh, and that's okay. And I accepted that. Uh, I think you can still effectively communicate your message uh, in a very composed and, and clear and concise way in how you present yourself, and how you present your language, and, and the words that you use. And I, I think that words matter. Uh, earlier on, just a few minutes ago, we were talking about my my path, and I used a very specific word. I, I was fortunate to, to land my first internship at the USOC. That's something that I've talked to a lot of people about over the course of my career, and I used the word fortune. It's I was fortunate. It was good timing, and it was good fortune. It wasn't luck. And I had I had a really close friend uh, <laughs> correct me on that and I appreciate that and that's that's stuck with me over the last probably decade uh, it wasn't good luck I worked my tail off to, to align myself and, and prepare myself for that next opportunity so it, it wasn't luck that just stumbled I, I just stumbled upon it. it was it was good timing and good fortune and and I think those words really matter so I think communicating a message, uh, in the voice that's appropriate for for you as an individual for me as an individual is is really important and i try not to pretend to be someone i'm not i'll do what i need to do to project my voice to be effective as necessary but i think connecting with others is about being real and being authentic and and i i strive to be that for for the people around me
0: for sure so coach you know just to, to add to that um so you, you talk about mike says you got this calm demeanor Coach, what's your pet peeves in the weight room? Give me at least one or two of them. What, what, what you got?
2: Yeah, I think pet peeves for me are, are, I'm going to, I'm going to use a phrase, I'll call it lack of coachability or unwillingness to be, to be coached. Um, that's, that drives me bonkers. Uh, I'm not, don't get me wrong. I love a session with great energy and, and kids that are fired up and soon athletes that, that are engaged and want to be in there, and and at six a you don't know if it's six a m six p m you don't know if it's Monday or Friday it's they're just excited to be in there, but I'm also okay if they're not and they're dil- diligent about their work, and they do what they need to do I'm fine with a group if it's if it's quieter than than maybe some other groups, I, frankly that doesn't matter to me as much as being open and willing to be coached and being open to to having a, a two way uh, two-way street and, and open conversation The my biggest pet peeve is when somebody is turned off and re- refuses to be communicated with uh, that that'll drive me up the wall uh, and that's it's something that, that I think I take very seriously and yeah. I try to address it as necessary uh, because uh, we're I'm here for them and likewise they're here for me it's it's this is not a dictatorship. It's a it's a democratic process, if you will. Uh, so so we're both involved in that training process. And and all I ask is for them to be open with me the same way that that I want to be open with them and, ha- and have that good back and forth uh, to give them the best experience they can during their time in the way room and ultimately their time at Michigan.
0: Yeah, I know, um, you know, just listen to your story. And because when Mike was talking about your calm and all that, I was like, those are usually the guys that you don't want to get upset. You know, it's like they got to, because some people, you know, carry their intensity on the outside, but I've met some of the most intense guys are more, it is kind of, it's more internal. So I knew there was something, I knew there was something there, coach, that uh, you got some hot buttons, just like we all do. Um, Next question. So think back, coach, you talked about in in your opening statement about being at the USOC, kind of getting started. So from that, from then, maybe up till like currently, like, how has your coaching evolved or changed some, what would be some ways that you would speak to that? And, and maybe you could, things you've learned or whatever, just how do you, what would you speak into that coach?
2: Yeah, I, I like that question. Uh, and I like that question because again, I'll go back to that the self-reflection piece. Um, over the last 10, 12 years, I've, I've I've spent a lot of time trying to evaluate who I am as a coach, who I am as a person and, and what I bring to the people around me. Uh, and I think initially, my, my first few years in the field, to me, it was, uh, I was trying to be really textbook uh, and 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 very regimented in in how I approached uh, my interactions with, with student athletes, with colleagues. Not, not that I'm I'm informal or or unprofessional now, but I think it's important to understand that that every situation is um, is unique and, and independent of of other situations and. I think the ability to, to mold, and, and I'll use a, a 2020 phrase, be fluid uh, and be adaptable, I think is really important. And so for me, when I talk to young coaches and, and colleagues, and I think I remember a couple of different conversations with Mike six, six years ago or so when he was here, uh, one of the, the best attributes that, that I think you can find in a professional, especially a young coach that's still learning some of the hard skill set necessary to be successful, is adaptability. And I think there's something to be said about being around people that are adaptable to the circumstances they find themselves in uh, and being able to work with anyone and everyone that walks through the door. It might not be perfect, uh, but I think uh, the ability to connect with others and, and to work effectively and, and um, progressively with others is, is a really important skill set. So I, I don't know that I recognize that. In 2009, when I left undergrad and and got into the profession and kind of dove in headfirst, uh, but over the course of the last uh, decade or or more at this point, uh, I've realized that that adaptability is is really crucial to to my success as a professional and my ability to to continue moving forward in spite of X, Y, or Z roadblocks that come in the way. And that's that's not just specifically related to COVID. It's um, when somebody comes in with an injury, when somebody comes in with with some sort of uh, problem that is is obviously contributing or or being a detriment to to their performance that needs to be addressed and and uh, and worked through for their well-being. So to me it's important to to be adaptable to whatever the situation you find yourself in uh, to continue moving in the direction that we all want to we all want to move in.
0: Yeah you made me think of a book I just finished last earlier this year. It's called Leadership. By John Maxwell, I'm a big John Maxwell reader. And he talks about that book like, I mean, you nailed it on the head. Like the future of whatever organization you're in or uh, job career path. I mean, think about this pandemic right now. Things are changing so fast, you can't keep up with it. But in that book, he talked about how I think it was the the cheetah of how you know everybody talks about a cheetah can run fast. You know, vertically the vertical speed is really, really quick, but really where their sweet spot is being able to change direction on the dime, going that same speed. And you kind of use that that analogy in, in leadership, you've got to be adaptable and be able, you know, especially in these bigger organizations, be able to change on a dime like that if you want to have the continued success. So you're spot on. So good stuff. I think hey. that's keep go ahead, Lou.
2: No, no, no. I, I I couldn't agree more. I think uh I think it's important to be able to continue moving in the direction that we all we all want to move in, right? We're all pulling in the same direction, and it might be uh, it might not look the same each time, uh, but you got to find a way to claw and, and drag yourself in the same direction that uh, that we all went ahead in terms of competing for championships and and developing life ready men and women here.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that example, coach, um, of the Achita and being adaptable and being able to kind of keep things rolling at the same speed. Like that's so practical, probably to many professions, but especially ours. So like today, an an easy example to kind of latch onto is swimmer comes in and Hey, you know, I hurt my back. I was doing this and that, and then practice made it worse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on our, on our sheet or, you know, what she had for the day, she had hex bar deadlift. It's like, okay, well, can we hex bar deadlift with a lightweight? No. Okay. Well, can we do this instead? Can we do that? And so it's just like little things that happen in our field every single day where you have you have no choice. You have to be adaptable. Um, so that's, I think that's a good quality that you kind of pointed out, Lou, and especially for our field, you know, obviously carry over to many fields, but um, I think that's something that adaptability, like you said to young coaches, like that's such a strong skill that maybe young coaches don't think of, you know, right away, but that's just something that we have to deal with kind of on the daily.
2: Yeah, no doubt about that. And I think, you, you can shape it in, in any frame. I think you just, you provided a nice example with, with your swimmer and that happens mm-hmm. frequently, right? As more more than we care for it to happen, but it's a fact of the matter and it's the, the reality of the situation. Uh, but I think it also happens with uh, how you carry yourself differently with with different groups uh, and and what different groups need out of of you as, the, as a coach in the room. That's good. Uh, That's good. I think it's it's important to be able to connect with them on that and, and adjust and adapt to uh, to what what they need out of you at, in the moment. If it's one person that's that has a, a a back thing or or a lower body injury or some limitation physically, it's a different conversation than if everyone seems to be run down and uh, and they're just kind of dragging. It's a different conversation and it's a different adjustment. And I think uh, to me, it's it's important to look at them as humans and not as robots uh, because that's how I would want to be treated. Yeah, uh, is, is as a human. Yeah, well said.
1: Um, so I mean, kind of with that, it's pivoting a little bit, but I mean, we're on the topic of of working with people. And I know one one thing is that with strength and conditioning, and again, this this could be across so many fields, is I know for me as a young coach, it's easy to kind of think of myself as I'm driving the training. When at the end of the day, you know, their sport is what should drive the training. Um, We're just a piece of the puzzle. And with that, there are other professionals that also have a piece to that performance puzzle. So there's like nutritionists, we have sports scientists, behavior health, you know, you have tutors, so on and so forth. And the list can keep going. Sport coaches are the big piece, right? And so my question for you is, are there challenges collaborating with all those groups of people, all those pieces to the performance puzzle? And what are the payoffs to those challenges, if there are any?
2: Sure. Yeah, I, I hesitate to I hesitate to use the word challenge, right? Yeah, it's I think it has a negative connotation. I think inherently, when you have a conversation amongst a large group of of professionals that come from different angles and and different uh, from different lanes, if you will, uh, the challenge is, is being able to just have have a conversation in a concise manner. Uh, because we all have our areas of expertise that it's just, and, and we're all working a lot uh, with different team from programs that is sometimes just challenging in a sense of, of getting together. But to me, the, there's a lot of benefit to it. So I use a, a lane analogy uh, often. And so I ride in my lane, I'm in the strength and conditioning lane. So I'm in that physical development and, and that performance lane, uh, as it relates to, to the, the, phys- the physical development of our, of our student athletes. Uh, that's strength speed power mobility whatever uh, attributes that uh, that that are required to that individual or that, that sport our athletic trainer and our sports medicine team has their lane our dietitians uh, right in the in their lane the sport kick, sport coaches have their lane our performance uh, psych or athletic counseling team has their lane And there's probably five or six seven other other lanes that are important uh, equipment and facilities and so on so we each have our lanes but to me it's important to be able to bob and weave in and out of lanes as as is necessary for us to be successful. I am not omnipresent. As much as I try to be everywhere uh, at the same time, uh, I'm not. I can't be. And neither can our coaches, as much as they try, or athletic trainers, or our dietitians, or anyone in any of their own lanes. But to me, I need to be able to bob and weave in and out of lanes uh, appropriately and effectively to, again, get that, get everyone pulling in the same direction and and headed towards where we all want to be at the end of the season. So, uh, that, that could mean, okay, uh, it's a conversation that I hear two or three student athletes having related to, uh, sleep or related to, uh, their most recent bod pod or DEXA results or related to how they haven't eaten breakfast or whatever the conversation is. To me, it's an opportunity to step in and, and, and say something in terms of either one, referring them out to the appropriate, uh, the appropriate party and the appropriate unit and an individual or two be able to echo a message from, from one of those other lanes that doesn't, that isn't inappropriate for me to say, uh, but echoes the message from somebody else on that performance team. And that's uh, well, have you, have you thought about meal planning or have you talked to Caroline or have you talked to Kayla uh, two of our dietitians about how you can uh, avoid that in the future, knowing that you have class back to back to back before practice and starting to open those conversations or, well, I saw that you're kind of, I don't know, working on your wrist a little bit in, in between sets. Is that just a little stiff or does something happen? Well, yeah, but I haven't had a chance to talk to Brian or Lisa. Okay, well, let's do that. Let's let's get on the same page there and pull in those those other people uh, from those other lanes and be able to step in and out as appropriate because I think we often get stuck in our silos. And I think that's where the, the high performance uh, model or that, that performance team model starts to kind of crumble is when people stay in their silos and and are too afraid to step out of just their area of expertise i don't pretend to be any of those other people but i know enough about what they do to be able to, to determine whether or not certain individuals or groups need to take advantage of their services or uh, it's just a group that's kind of chit-chatting about i don't know having too much coffee one day and uh, not eating breakfast okay uh, Let's let's clean it up and maybe let's stop exaggerating. You probably didn't drink a gallon of coffee today, uh, although we have some kids that might might drink a gallon of coffee a day. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mike, I'll, I'll make one other point. This is not to correct you because I don't like to be this guy, but but I'll go back to the to the meticulous choice of words. Uh, I think, and and this is this is not me being perfect. It's it's a realization. Uh, so I use the the phrase registered dietitian because. That's what that's what our, our team our, our performance nutrition team is and I think there's a distinct difference between nutritionists which a lot of people can claim they are and and that the legitimate uh, medical profession of, of registered dietitians and I think it's important differentiation and gives us uh, our profession credibility as well because I view us as strength conditioning professionals uh, we're not trainers right there's a distinct difference there and I think, Uh, it's important in terms of establishing professionalism and and credibility amongst everyone that, that comprises that performance team.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, as you were explaining that, I was just thinking back to how my family still thinks I'm a personal trainer and friends think I'm a glorified personal trainer. So that's a good point. I do stand corrected, uh, registered dietitian. So pardon any nutritionists who are listening.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think it's, um, it's, it's important, right? And, and that's not to knock nutritionists and, and personal trainers, but uh, words matter. Uh, and I think it's important to, to be specific uh, as necessary and, and as appropriate. And and frankly, I, I like when I'm corrected and, and saying something wrong because I want to speak appropriately for the remainder of the time that I find myself, I don't know, breathing, kicking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's
0: good. Um, definitely, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think You know, you you talk about what you're saying, like the correct verbiage and words, but credibility and respect, if you don't have that in our profession, I mean, you you really got nothing to stand on. So that's a good point. Um, Shifting gears a little bit on our topic. So Coach Lou, if we were to do a, take a 50,000 foot snapshot view of your training philosophy and programming, how would you briefly describe just in a nutshell, what are some fundamentals, some principles of your training philosophy and how you work with your different teams and how you build athletes in the champions? How do you do that, Coach?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I think for me, it's it's been fairly consistent over the course of my career and it's, it's uh, evolved, I think. But I think um, ultimately, I believe in ground bol- ground-based multi-joint movements as the most effective means of de- developing strength and power in, in our student-athletes. Um, I think that it's a, it's important to address sports specific uh, energy system development. I think it's uh, an area that needs to, we need to continue to address and, and evolve the end conditioning portion of our, of our profession uh, for, for every sport, not just field based field-based sports that we typically think of uh, as needing uh, uh, high levels of ESD. Uh, and I think, really I look at, at movements as, as five primary buckets or in five primary buckets, and that's, uh, squatting, hip hinging, upper body, pressing, upper body pulling and bracing. So I think addressing those five, uh, basic fundamental areas of movement for me are really important. And I think, honestly, I think it's, it's an area that probably needs to be addressed earlier than it is for, for a lot of student athletes. And I, uh, it's, it's not uncommon that that they come in without the ability to do one or, or multiple uh, address multiple movements in those in those five buckets so it's it's important for me to be able to establish good habits and then build off of those and and to connect the dots for our student athletes in terms of helping them understand how bracing impacts squatting uh, how their upper body pulling uh, and improves and impacts their hip hinging and how it all ties together and connects. So a simple example to me is a power clean. It's a fundamental exercise for, for us and it's foundational for a lot of the teams that I work with. But a power clean in and of itself is is comprised of multiple different positions that can be addressed in a variety of different exercises. So even if we're only power clean once a week, we might front squat another day, we might clean pull another day, we might do RDLs on, on one of those other days. So those are three different movements uh, that are not power cleans that are covered and addressed in a power clean that build on top of each other. So to me, it's, it's connecting the dots so that they understand when we get to power cleans or when we get to front squats and they're great at power cleans, but their front squat uh, rack position, let's say is, is not up to par. Well, it's just like that's It's that same receiving position in the power clean, except uh, it's a more controlled environment that you get to step under the bar. So it's, it's again, connecting the dots for our student athletes uh, in a variety of different movements to to get them to figure it out for themselves but lead them lead them to, towards that conclusion uh, so I think that's how I kind of describe my training philosophy and and what I think is important uh, as a professional
0: real real quick just to add so I appreciate you sharing that so I work with overhead sports I know you trained softball and have for a while so mm-hmm. take that a, a layer a little deeper on your philosophy how do you address those demands of a, of a softball athlete that's an overhead? They're throwing, pitching, got some imbalances and some weird things going there. How do you take your philosophy and adjust that for the, those demands of that
2: sport? Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, – I've gotten that question a lot over time and, and how I individualize. So with softball specifically, how I individualize for position groups, for uh, catchers, uh, pitchers outfield infield and well I think there's some some basic elements that are different amongst those those different position groups and some areas to be a little bit more uh, aware of for say pitchers and and uh, how much upper body uh, especially overhead pressing and, and but really upper body pressing we're doing I'm aware of it and I might be a little bit more conservative especially as we get um, into season and, and through the season uh, but I don't I don't look at it as, okay, they're pitchers that have to do this. They're catchers that have to do this. They're outfielders that have to do this. Every, every person is different in an in individual on their own, right? Uh, based on, on their training history, their injury history, their current status in the program, whether they're uh, a starter and getting a, a ton of playing time or, um, are they're, a they're reserve and their primary role is a pinch runner. And, and they have the ability to train a little bit more aggressively. So, uh, while I, I look at it, I, positionally to an extent, I look at it individually as well. So some of the areas that I look at that are, that are important and and that I address with softball specifically as an overhead sport, uh, to, to limit the amount of stress on the shoulder is, uh, hip and thoracic mobility. And, and I address it, I address that. So I think thoracic rotation and thoracic extension is incredibly important, uh, for overhead athletes. Uh, I think taking some of the stress off the shoulder and a and getting them to be able to rotate through the trunk effectively and dissociate movement from, from the hips, from the lower body and the hips and the trunk is really important for, for anyone that swings or throws. Um, so I look at that hip mobility as well and being able to understand where their, where their body is in space, where the pressure in their foot is, what their pelvis is doing from a rotational and a, and a tilting standpoint, and getting them in the right positions more, more often under load to reinforce good movement patterns that hopefully will, will cross over into sport. Again, it's connect the dots. Well, we're doing these weird drills. We're doing this, this uh, segmented uh, uh, spinal flexion extension drill. So we're doing a thoracic cat camo, I'll call it. Well, it just looks weird. And we're doing it. Everyone looks like they're kind of doing it, but why the hell are we doing it? If I if I don't, if I don't try to express that and get that message across to our student athletes, I've missed I've missed the boat. I've missed the opportunity to to paint a picture of why it's important to do something that's probably a little bit non-traditional and probably looks just a little bit weird. Uh, but when I ex- explain the importance and the role of thoracic extension in, in basic terms and throwing. My hope is that it gets the message across to more and more kids so that they put more effort into that 30-second drill that we're doing a few times a week. And they understand it, and they can use it on their own when they get off a five-hour plane, plane ride from here to Southern California in February because you can't play softball in Michigan in February. Uh, or they they do it in between games when you're when you're on your feet for six hours uh, because you're playing two seven-inning headers in 40 degrees in Bloomington, Indiana, right? So I think that's, to me, the area that that uh, I look at our role as, as educators and the ability to impact their time beyond just the one-hour session we get in the weight room two or three times a week. Uh, so it's, it's increasing the effectiveness of touch points that I think goes a long way in, in helping to, to prepare them, again, for, for competition, but life beyond athletics because ultimately I want them to be healthy and successful in whatever realms they choose to to, to pursue professionally and continue working out and exercising on their own for their own wellness and, and health and well-being. So I started to get fired up about that stuff because it's uh, it's important to me, even though it's just a thoracic cat Camel, It's important to me that they understand why we're doing something that's a little bit outside the box and a little bit non-traditional if you will.
1: Now that's huge. Um, you know one of the biggest takeaways we try to instill in our interns is have a reason why. And then push that even further and be able to explain why to whatever audience you're speaking to. And so it's, I think it's easy to get caught up, right? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, the newest, latest and greatest shiny objects in our field, you know, especially with as much communication that's been happening um, with social media, but it's like, have a reason why not just because, or because I saw so and so do it. And I think that's huge. And then explaining it to athletes, find, like you said, find a concise way to do it that connects with them. And a lot of times with athletes, it's how does this relate to your sport? How is this going to help me perform? Or if you're speaking to a sport coach, use verbiage or language that they understand, not necessarily something you'd find in a strength and conditioning textbook. Um, So I think that's huge. And and you kind of ended on it is at the end of the day, when coach Portiazzo is not there and they get off a plane in California, it empowers them because now they know what to do and they can kind of use that tool at their own will. So I think that's that's a huge point you touch on. Again, that we try to kind of instill in our interns constantly is understand why and then be able to explain it.
2: Yeah, Mike. You know, I I I love that word. You just use the word empowerment. Uh, it's to me more and more over the course of 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 my career as I continue to grow and evolve and and aspire to to be in leadership positions uh, and try to hone my skill set uh, currently and. I usually refer to it as, as leading from within, uh, as somebody that's not in a, in a super high level, currently super high level, uh, leadership position, uh, as far as title and, and exact responsibility goes, that doesn't mean that I can't impact others and that I can't, uh, I can't lead from within and, and that I can't empower others. Uh, and as I think about my leadership style, it's, it's, it's empowering those around me to go out and, and do what they believe is best for them to be successful for, for themselves and for the the team they find themselves on. And team is a literal sense in athletics, uh, whether it's softball, gymnastics, soccer, swimming, diving, tennis, wh- whatever it may be, but it's, uh, we all find ourselves on teams. Uh, you guys are on the same team the same way I'm, I'm on a team with, uh, with Mike favor, my boss and and Ashley and, and Kate and Jason and Joe are some of my coworkers we are on the same team. Uh, and for me, it's, it's, empowering the people around you to, to take ownership of, of their development. And that's physical, mental and, and everything, everything related to, to the individuals, to an individual's well Uh, but it's, it's something that's important to me. And and I actually just did, uh, last week, uh, no, a few weeks ago now, sorry, losing track of time. Uh, I recorded a presentation for the NFCA, the national fast pitch coaches association and uh, the title is evolved around empowering, uh, empowerment in empowering others in strength and conditioning related to softball specifically, but it's, um, empowerment is, is a no pun intended? It's a powerful word and it's impactful. And, um, I love that you just use that. So I had to, I had to give you kudos to that, to that. I'll take it. <laughs> um, I
1: mean, likewise to, to the demands of softball you've worked with with gymnastics for a number of years. And it's kind of, it's one of those sports that isn't too often talked about, but you want to talk about demands, um, and the amount of skills that, that they have to perform. Um, so gymnastics, um, and pardon me again, I'm, I'm not as familiar with it, you know, even close to as you would be. Um, but in a sense, it's, it's a, it's a bit like basketball or volleyball, um, where it requires a large number of jumps. And that's not just in competition, that's through practices year-round. And also with those jumps, you get incredibly high ground reaction forces. Um, and so my question is like, how do you prepare gymnasts to handle those huge demands uh, like through the course of a year, um, whether it's off season and in season and in coach Maeve after Lugo's, you can touch on it too. Cause I know you've worked with volleyball for, you know, a decade or even more than that.
2: You know, I, gymnastics is, I think this goes back to, to being adaptive, like we talked about earlier. When, when I got to Michigan and I found out I had gymnastics, I thought, cool. I remember Carrie shrugged from the 96, 96 Olympics. When I was a kid, uh, winning a gold medal, helping her team win a gold medal on a broken leg, uh, when she, when she stuck her vault and I thought, man, gymnastics, this is just it's cool. And over the course of time, I don't disagree with that statement and that thought process, but it was so so amateur uh what they do day in and day out is is as impressive as any other sport that that i've been around and and i've come to to appreciate them more and more over the course of of my time uh at michigan Uh, and i say that from a physical development standpoint but i think the sport as a whole is is working to recover from from a long time of uh some overall gross uh negligence by the people that are in leadership positions. And so I think there's some negative connotations related to, um, strength training and, and, and gymnasts and, uh, the benefit or the lack thereof, at least this, this myth that there's, there's no reason that uh, gymnasts gymnast should, to do, um, additional strength training and and use external load. Uh, and I disagree with that, obviously. And and it's taken me time over the course of my career to build that relationship and rapport and that trust with not only the coaches that, uh, our head coach Bev has been here for over 30 years. And Scott's been, been, uh, with her for 20 plus. And so they're an established staff and established program, but it took time for me to, to find an inroad to building a relationship with, with them as a coaching staff and likewise with, with our student athletes, uh, and getting them to realize that I am I am not going to force or demand they do anything that's uh, inappropriate for them, both as an individual and collectively as a team. So uh, that. That first and foremost was the biggest step for me. I think that the next biggest step is understanding where they come from, from a training standpoint, outside of just gymnastics. And I think a lot of traditionally a lot of strength training, strength, I'll put air quotes around this, strength training for gymnastics uh, comes f- via the form of, of bodyweight circuits that are really more a little bit uh, muscular endurance or, or energy system development based. But understanding that that's what they're familiar with, that's what they love, and they're probably not going to want to get away from them entirely. So I need to embrace that. And how do I give them a little bit of what they want uh, to to get uh, a good chunk of what I think is valuable for them from a, from a strength standpoint to withstand the the pounding and that that those high ground reaction forces that you talked about earlier. So. Uh, that's one area I think was really important. So we typically include—I don't know—could be a three-minute circuit, could be a six, seven, eight-minute circuit. But we'll include some some circuit training at the end of a session. there's a little bit of ESD and make them feel like uh, they left here uh, having accomplished something. Meanwhile, the first 40 minutes of that workout is based on on some of those fundamental movements we talked about earlier: uh, squatting, hip hinging, upper body pressing, pulling, and bracing. And I think addressing those areas uh, with external loading is really valuable and important in the off season for our gymnasts. And then tapering down as we get closer and closer to competitive season in January, February, and then ultimately championship season in March and April. Uh, so to me, it's just like any other sport in the sense of uh, proper periodization and, and understanding uh what they're doing in training and how their body reacts to to the increase in volume and/or intensity in the gym and the gymnastics uh, facility, and what I need to do to complement and not uh, not be detrimental to their development. So understanding that and understanding what a typical year looks like from how much in terms of how much time they spend in the gym how intense it is, what their volume is just generally allows me to be a little bit more effective and strategic in our setting to address those five, five, uh, basic movement categories and also work on some other basics that they probably haven't done in a long time, if ever, and that's uh, good mechanics on, on landings, that's step drops and landing in a non-gymnastic specific stiff Rigid position, getting them to understand how to absorb force through their through their lower half effectively. Uh, that's getting them to understand how to to brace because they spend so much time in trunk flexion and training training their core, quote unquote core. Uh, their torso training via trunk flexion exercises, which are fine and important for gymnastics, but what can we do from a bracing standpoint, from an anti-extension, from an anti-rotation, anti-lateral flexion, a stabilization standpoint? and get them to, to improve their understanding of their body, their body position under load uh, and how, again, that intersects uh, with other movement categories. I think it's really important. Uh, And ultimately it's, it's, it's having that back and forth and giving ground where I need to, but standing firm where I believe uh, it's important to stand ground with our coaches and student athletes and and having this uh, this good two-way street of communication, I think is, is crucial to success. I found in gymnastics and, in other sports as well.
1: Um, one thing that came to mind um, thinking about gymnastics is it's a sport seemingly, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that requires a lot of flexibility and mobility. Um, and again, there's that, there's that kind of common, I'm going to call it a myth out there that, you know, if you strength train, you're going to lose mobility and flexibility. And I think there might be correlation there, but I would happen to disagree with the causation. Some, i what I would say is, do you find that you have to, um, kind of educate your athletes or even coaches on, Hey, if we strength train, we're not necessarily going to lose flexibility or mobility. Is that something that you, you deal with?
2: Uh, I think, I mean, it's, this is my 12, will be my 12th season with gymnastics. So uh, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I, I feel as if I built a really good relationship with our student athletes and our coaches. Um, and just because I, I, I feel like we've developed it doesn't mean that i can i can neglect the culture that that we've all helped to create because i think you're constantly uh cultivating uh the culture that that you're currently living within uh so for me it's uh we've made a lot of headway and progress but i always have a conversation especially with with any newcomers whether that's freshmen or transfers or over the course of of my 12 years there's been several assistant coaches that have come into that that second assistant coach position uh, it's important for me to, to express to them that my interest is to help them stay healthy and improve their overall durability to withstand the demands of the sport. So they're available to compete for championships. You know, there's, there's a, you uh, yeah, I don't know who to attribute this to, but, uh, the, it's a phrase that's resonated with me over the course of the last several years. The best ability is availability. So I think being available and healthy, and 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 being able to withstand the demands, uh, of of a rigorous and physical sport, uh, are important. And so, to to get to your to answer your question specifically, at this point, with with the established uh, relationship I have with our student athletes, it's important to, to address that with the freshmen and and get my message across that this might be different from what you've done previously. You may have never done a, a back squat or or a front squat or. Uh, or an RDL before, uh, but my my objective is not to make you big and bulky and slow. My objective is to to help you stay as healthy and and available as possible, so that you can get out and compete and do what you came to Michigan to do, uh, from an athletic standpoint. Uh, and it's a it's a continual conversation there, and I think it takes time, and it's not just a gymnast, but it's it's any any newcomer. It takes time for them to understand who you are, for me to understand who they are, what makes them tick, how I can connect with them and vice versa. Uh, but I think it's, Im- it's important to continue to address that. And if we have some upperclassmen or, or some individuals that, that maybe aren't as bought in, then then to understand why and try to get to the root of that and and break down whatever barriers are in the way for them to be uh, bought into what we're doing in our space uh, and how it impacts them in, in their space. Uh, so it's it's less of a conversation than it was my first two or three years. Uh, but it's something that's still important to address. And, and, I, I'm really fortunate. I say this, I'm fortunate to have a, a strong relationship with, with upperclassmen, uh, and, and obviously alumni now, uh, which some of them are, are coaching some of the incoming kids at different times, which is crazy. Uh, with our athletic trainer, Lisa, who's been in gymnastics for years and the coaches that, uh, what I do and what I offer and who I am for, for gymnastics is sold by those other people, uh, which I love. And I think that's important. Um, and it's not that I'm trying to be manip- manipulative in any way. It's the more people that can can sell you and speak positively of you, I think the easier it is to break down whatever barriers might exist for you to have an effective um, and authentic relationship with, with another person. Good
0: stuff, Coach. Um... I appreciate you sharing it. I had a question kind of to tie in all the training, mm-hmm. a little bit about talking a little bit about recovery with your teams. It's kind of a hot topic right now. It's pretty, it's pretty in obviously. Um, talk a little bit about your recovery strategies, maybe protocols, you know, how do you, how do you filter through like what really works, what doesn't, because uh, a lot of stuff out there maybe just a little fluff, but like talk about your strategies, how you filter that, but then how do you implement those with your, your, your athletes and teams?
2: Yeah. Recovery is a, I find it an interesting topic to talk about. I think my perspective on recovery, uh, I don't know if it's different, but it's, it, it's, it's how I view it. I think that recovery modalities are effective if they're used strategically at at certain parts of the competitive year. Uh, if you look at the annual training plan. And so I'll use a couple of examples of, of various modalities. Um, we'll say compression pants, Normatec or, or whatever. We use Normatec. There's several other companies I'm sure that are out there. Um, or if you look at uh, uh, some other um, self-myofascial de- release devices like Theragun or uh, old school tennis ball, lacrosse ball, what have you, foam roller. I think they're those are valuable uh, resources. Uh, but I, I think that there's an increasing reliance on them to uh, almost as a way out or as, as an excuse from hard training and progressive training, especially in the off season. And so to me, I think that one of the best sources of recovery uh, is – Consistency in training, uh, consistency in training, and progressive overload, and and uh, and pushing the limits for each individual from from a strength and/or conditioning ESD standpoint, uh, and uh, and dosing appropriate volumes and intensities over the course of the entire year uh, to elicit the results that we're looking to elicit in terms of. Being at their their strongest and fittest as they're as they're getting into into the, the the deep part of their competitive season, and I think that's the time where those those various recovery modalities can help complement and add just a little bit more, even if there's a slight placebo effect, uh, can add a little bit more to how they feel heading into uh, deep into the competitive year. But I think the physical preparation leading into the competitive season. Uh, and pushing through the hard parts of the offseason, which are just unpleasant physically and can be unpleasant uh, because of the soreness and just the, the general fatigue that's that that's accumulated over the course of an offseason, uh, I think that's the – the one of the most important factors in terms of recovery i'd rather take somebody that that can withstand the demands of the sport because they've trained appropriately and can rebound from whatever i'll take soccer as an example uh my first go around with soccer and, and this is my second go around now so it's probably a combined five or so years that i've worked with the program uh we we used uh catapult uh and for us, it was the first year we used it. was about trying to understand what is this information, how do we use this information, what do we get out of it. And then we did a lot of uh, retrospective analysis on it, and we came to realize that there were some soft tissue injuries that occurred, and we didn't blame it on this specifically, but it's a strange coincidence. You see, uh, when match high speed distance in a match is three or four times what they experienced in uh, several days of preparation leading up to that match, and you see. Soft tissue injuries pop up, uh, you're like, wait a second, maybe, maybe they're just underprepared. It's not that they need more stretching or that they need more recovery boots or they need massage or what have you. Maybe they just need to be pushed harder so they can withstand the demands of of the competition itself. And so that was a big eye opener for me five years ago or so, that uh recovery is great and mo- various modalities are important and valuable during that competitive season or or selectively. Uh, but it cannot replace the, the the work that's put in over the course of several weeks and months, uh, consistently in an off season. Uh, similarly, I think eating eating well and hydrating and getting sleep, appropriate sleep, are some of the best re- recovery modalities that are out there and available to everyone. They're available to to all three of us in this call, regardless of 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 Mike being in his twenties. Twenty nine. Uh, 29, me being in my thirties and Donnie, you as well, being in your thirties your as well, I think yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, for me, it's, it's something that we all have access to. We all have access to the ability to, to eat better, to hydrate better, to get both more and better quality sleep and to prepare our bodies more effectively in terms of, of the, of pushing our physical limits for whatever our competitive realm is. For me, it's, it's, it's a, a level of demo fitness, I need to be able to demonstrate every exercise that I prescribe, pretty close to every exercise, at least twice. You need to be able to at least do two reps of it so that our student-athletes get a good picture, and then I'm good. That's the base level of my fitness. I need to be able to demonstrate exercises. I put a caveat to that because there's some things I can't j- demonstrate with the gymnast. Um, <laughs> I just I make sure that I, one of our kids can demonstrate uh, for me because I, I lack some of those abilities.
1: Um, man, that's a great point near the end there is Dr. Dr. Mark Bubbs is his name. He wrote a book peak. Um, but he talks about like, like the pyramid of recovery. And I can't remember who he got it from. It was some coach who at one point was with the golden state warriors, but he talks about the the recovery pyramid where the base of it is like, you just touched on it's it's nutrition, it's stress management and it's sleep. And so his whole point was, is if you can't achieve those three things, right? If you're missing out on sleep or you're not eating correctly, he said, there's no point in putting on compression pants. There's no point in doing a contrast bath. He says, cause that's never going to, you know, repair you from four hours of sleep. And so he touches on that as you have to work your way up the pyramid, if you want to be, you know, grabbing a Theragun or whatever, the latest and greatest thing is and working on yourself is make sure you address the bottom of the pyramid first. and uh, He has it laid out pretty good. And then the other point that you touched on is I'd actually heard recently Dan path echoed that. And uh, he talked about how, we rush to kind of jump or grab at, you know, well, how can, what can I use for recovery? What can I do for this? And his big thing is like training, training prepares you trainings, why you can recover for the next day or the next stimulus. I um, mean, that's of course in the context that you're not taking away from the neuromuscular motor abilities from sport, you know, time of year dependent. But I think those are both excellent points. Again, just talking about addressing the bottom of the pyramid, there, something that's available to all of us and, tough with student athletes uh, in the realm that us three work in when you have academics you have early morning practices Um, typically social relationships are pretty stressful for student athletes the ages of 18 to 22 but something to again coming back to what we had said earlier is educating your athletes making them aware of it and certainly selling it to the point where they understand it so that they're actually going to buy into it and do their best to prioritize it
0: i i heard it say one time uh coach lou and coach mike I, I love what you guys are saying kind of a simplistic way of putting it is like i forget where i got this from but you're you know when you when you play a sport your body metaphorically you're writing a check your body spends whatever energy your body basically it costs your body a price right but the stronger you are the more fit the more in shape the better you do the the fundamental foundational things, the best way, the right way, the smaller the check your body writes. So don't get in shape. Don't get stronger in the off season. Then you, like you just said, coach Lou, you're going to be way more fatigued. There's going to be residual effects of that, you know, that will last maybe days versus if you're stronger, you're in better shape conditioned, you may recover, you know, a day and a half. And so, I think that's spot on, but a lot of people again, they're looking for the bells and whistles sometimes because that's the buzzword right now, recovery, and they're looking for that kind of like wave that magic wand to make them feel better when they really just need to train harder sometimes. So good stuff.
2: Yeah, I uh, I just wrote down that that uh, check analogy. That, that's great. I love that. It's uh, you you got to write a check. You're gonna write a check on game day. Do, Do you is. have enough cash? You got enough cash in the bank for that thing to not bounce or? Is it going to bounce?
1: Yeah, I think I think it was you who told me, Coach, is like training is like deposits, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you want more return, obviously, you have to make sure you're putting consistent deposits. Um, to, shift, to shift kind of um, topic of conversation here, uh, we have enough time for a few more questions, as long as you do, Coach Lou. Um, yeah, absolutely. But what would you say are some of the challenges to our job as strength and conditioning or performance coaches – um, that maybe younger coaches or aspiring coaches may not see or may not hear about.
2: I think when I think back to to my time my in my day um, as a young coach, uh, there you go. <laughs> I I uh, had. I was pretty confident in my undergrad and, and my graduate education, uh, and certainly my undergrad is is what kind of jumpstarted me in the profession, to allow me to pursue graduate work simultaneously with 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 working uh, in the field. I don't know that I recall any specific te- uh, textbooks, and that's that's the Essentials book, that's uh, Doctor Stone's book, or Zatzyorski, or or you name it that. Uh, that ever said anything about how you handle when somebody comes into the weight room and starts crying. I don't, I don't recall seeing that and, and I, I don't, I don't think I scrubbed textbooks, uh, but I, I certainly have thumb thumbed through enough textbooks as it relates to strength and conditioning and, and perf- human performance uh, to, to be pretty confident that nobody has ever talked about what happens when somebody walks in crying. Uh, we work with humans, we work with real people that have real problems uh, and to pretend like they don't or to not uh, not be considerate and empathetic to the fact that they might have something going on outside of the weight room and outside of their sport, uh, I think is wrong and I think it's it's neg- negligent. Uh, so to me, it's it's understanding that we work with people and we work with people first uh and that's that's hard to wrap your head around because we we're rooted in science and i think it's important that we are and, and i i would i would uh surmise that, that you guys agree with that that what we do is rooted in science uh, but it's not black and white and it, it can't be and it, for us to be successful for for me specifically to be successful it can't be black and white this is the way it has to be and and leave your problems at the door That's not real. It's not that it's not the world we live in. I I don't suspect that it'll ever be that way. And maybe it maybe it was previously. Uh, but for me, I I I don't have any interest in in being in that type of realm. Uh I wanna I wanna be able to work with people. Sure, I prefer they don't walk in the door crying. Uh it's I think that'd make everyone's life a little bit more enjoyable. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that has happened and will likely happen again in my time. It's not an everyday thing. Uh, But certainly if it happens once, uh, it'll happen again. And and I think being able to understand and and relate and empathize with others is important in building relationships and rapport that in the long run, in terms of being consistent in training and and helping them prepare for sport will be beneficial if you can actually have a, a civil and productive conversation with them related to what's going on. Um, and I'll go back to, to something I said earlier, uh, we talked about kind of bobbing and weaving in a, in and out of lanes and working with these, these other performance units. That's a time for me. That's important to determine, I'll use the word triage to to really triage the situation. What's going on right now? Why is, why is this person in here? Why are they crying? And what do I need to do to, to ensure that their well being is, uh, that they're safe in their well-being, uh, and immediately determine whether or not I need to call in some backup for lack of a better term in terms of our athletic counselors. Uh, or uh, if I don't know, they had a uh, they stubbed their toe on the way in and their eyes are just watery and they're not actually crying. Who knows, right? It's, these are the things that, that happen. Um, but I think understanding that they, there might be somebody else that needs to be part of the conversation. Um, but in that moment, They walked in, and it might be six thirty in the morning, and they're crying. And there's probably not a whole lot of other people on campus right now. What do I need to do to ensure that by the time that they leave, whenever they leave, that they're in a good enough spot to be able to do what they need to do for the rest of the day and to do it do it safely and healthily? Uh, That that's one of the areas that that would say that. As as young coaches and as young professionals, we need to be ready for the human element uh, and the human element of the people that we're working with because they have stressors just like you and me, and and uh, sometimes they they infiltrate other areas of our lives as much as we try to to compartmentalize. It's it's not always possible to do so, um, and ignoring it is is negligent and, and frankly just rude in my opinion. So that's, that's one area that I would encourage uh, young coaches to at least consider. And if you have some sports psychology classes that you can, that you can take in undergrad or grad school, or if you can build a relationship at your institution with, uh, with your athletic counseling team, whether that's within athletics or uh, counselors on campus and, and have access to them in those types of moments um, I think is important and will continue to be increasingly important over the course of of my career uh, and certainly, certainly the rest of our careers, in my opinion.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, I even think back to, I think I'm that stereotypical intern or I was that stereotypical intern who, you know, gets super excited to read all the, like you said, Zat um, Dan John, you know, Cal Dietz, doesn't matter, but you're, you're super consumed in these textbooks, the X's and O's, because it's pretty exciting at that age. And at that point, when you start to learn the science behind training, But the science I think that isn't as often spoken about is the interpersonal skill piece that you're touching on. Um, And cause like you said, it happens, I think it's going to happen to every strength coach at some point where an athlete's going to come in and, you know, for whatever reason, could be a multitude of reasons. It's not their day. Or another piece is even speaking with sport coaches and understanding the skill of listening um, more so than, than speaking or talking about what you read in page you know, 67 of Zatziorski. So, um, I think that's a great point that you hit on. And then also related to that is we, we talked about adaptability, um, earlier. And so kind of touching on that is what is something, um, what are, what are other skills that you, you look for in interns? What are other qualities um, that you look for in successful interns who are, you know, up and coming coaches and looking to make a good impression?
2: Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll use the word coachable. Uh, I said that earlier about uh, one of my pet peeves. Uh, Coach Johnny, you had mentioned that. What's well, one of my pet peeves? And and it's a lack of coachability, not only for student athletes, but uh, for interns and, and, and colleagues. Um, so to, to me, uh, I love when interns ask questions because they, they have a thought and they have an idea and they want to better understand it. And it drives me insane when, when interns or, or other coaches ask a question and they, they already know the answer and they're just looking for uh, affirmation that, that they're right uh, if it's done consistently, right? So I think there's a difference between asking a question to, to seek somebody's input and, and guidance versus looking for affirmation for whatever uh, thought process they, they have in, in that given situation. Uh, so being open and receptive to that coaching i think is is really valuable um and i think as as we look to to kind of advance the profession it's uh it's understanding that i want them to pay it forward in the future uh we're we're on this we're on this this uh this podcast and, and and having this conversation and maybe one day uh i don't know in a few weeks a young coach listens to this and Maybe one of us inspires him to look into a certain concept or look into the profession as a whole because he didn't think it was for him, but uh, maybe it is. Maybe it is because there are some other examples and models out there that that he can follow, and, and I want to be that person. There's uh, a strength coach, and actually uh, he just finished up his PhD, and somebody that I respect and have for a long time. Uh, I'll, I'll refer to him now as Dr. Adam Fight. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with with, with Adam, uh, but when I was an undergrad in 2006 or seven or so, uh, trying to figure out what strength and conditioning is and and Googling as much as I can uh, about the profession and, and what avenues are out there, I came across, uh, I think it was a two or three-part article that he wrote for EliteFTS.com. Uh, and he wrote it about uh being a young strength coach and breaking into the field. Uh and at some point while I was at Michigan around probably 2010 or so, he was at Eastern Michigan, just right down the road, uh, as the head football strength coach. And I got to meet him and I told him about that. And over the course of the last decade, uh, we've interacted several times and and I've told him and, and some of some of the people that have come from his tree at, at Springfield now that that, that moment, that article was impactful for me uh and frankly i don't even know if it's even still on the website or uh or, or how you even access it because it's been a while since i've read it i think i could i think i found part one and two just recently when i when i spoke to adam and, and reminded him about that but he, adam didn't sit down and write that article and say i want Lou portiazza to go read this article he wrote it because he wanted it to try and impact somebody in the profession and if it was literally, if I was literally the only person that read it and was impacted, my guess is that if you asked him that question right now is, was it worth this time? He would respond with absolutely, because it got through to one person. And, and I say that, uh, understanding that we have the ability to impact the lives of the people around us, not just who we're specifically trying to impact, but the people that don't, we don't know that we're impacting. Mm-hmm. And that's... Uh, that's somebody in the street that you smile at. That's somebody in the, that's somebody that you walk by and, and, uh, in the grocery store and, and thank them for, for doing what they do. That's, that's our custodial crew. That's, that's Arturo and, and, and Paola that, that come in here and shut off the lights every night. And sometimes I'm in here to see it, but oftentimes I'm not, and they do an important job for us. And I think it's important and, and I'm kind of getting on a soapbox and a tangent, but it's, uh. It's something that I, I think I take really seriously, and and part of the reason why I'm I'm to 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 uh, paraphrase you meticulous with my choice of words, um, and I'm specific in my language. If somebody likes to, if somebody doesn't like being called by their last name. I'm going to call them by their first name or whatever nickname they prefer. That that is a pet peeve for some people. And if I know that I'm going to make every effort I can to refer to them as by whatever name they prefer preferred to be referred to as, because that's important. It's important. It's important. I don't like being, when I was a kid, I was a pudgy little kid in back in New Jersey. And my last name is hard to say. So I had coaches, youth coaches call me pork chop. Well, in hindsight, that's, that's kind of rude. I, I didn't love that, but what did I know? I was a chubby little kid and my last name was hard to say. Uh, it's important, right? It's all these things that matter in terms of, of impacting the, the lives of the people we're around and, and having them leave your presence, feeling good about what they've accomplished and where they're heading. Uh, and it's not just to blow smoke, it's, it's to help build them up versus tear them down. Even in a bad session, even if a session was garbage, addressing it and looking at them in the eye as, as another human and saying that wasn't good enough. And this is where we're each of you need to to improve individually and we need to improve collectively. And pointing out where I need to improve as well. Right? It's 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 imperfect and that's fine. We're all trying to move together. Don't let don't let perfection get in the way in the great get in the way of greatness. They're not synonymous. Perfection and greatness are not synonymous. Be great in what you do day in, day out. Be great in how you tie your darn shoes. Be great in how you fill your water bottle. Be great in how you wear your mask during COVID, right? Be great in the things that that, that that don't you don't necessarily think matter because they add up they add up and and don't let perfection get in the way of greatness sorry I'm off my soapbox now
0: all right that's a good that's a whole nother episode right there I, lo- I love it Well <clears throat> hey I got one last question and I'll let Mike kind of close this out but uh, you kind of touched on it what comes to mind talking about professional development, one or two of your top things that have impacted you as far as growth and just advancement in your career over your whole life? So what's been one or two professional development things that's had the biggest impact on you? What is that?
2: Sure. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you two examples and I'll give you, and they're kind of different, uh, avenues in terms of, of professionalism. So I'll give you one that's a little bit more of a hard skill set, directly, directly related to to, uh, performance and, uh, physical development and it's, uh, DNS dynamic neuromuscular stabilization. Um, one of our athletic trainers, Brian with, with softball, I have over the last five or six years, we've built a great relationship and Brian is, is really big proponent of DNS taking several courses and, and, and has several certifications. So it got to the point where I needed to start to look into it for myself because, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't well-versed enough to understand what he was what he was trying to explain to me that, that I wanted to see if what it was about. And so they ran a, they run a, a DNS for, uh, I think it's a DNS weightlifting. Um, and so it's taught, uh, my course was taught by Dr. Ohm. He's a chiropractor at Columbus and it was great. I, I, it's been a long time since I've felt like I was the uh, bottom 5% of intelligence in the room. Uh, and that course is one of them. I was surrounded by people that were incredibly intelligent and intelligent, and it was really humbling. Uh, and I loved every second of it. And it's, for me, it was cleaning up some areas of understanding bracing, uh, posture and diaphragmatic breathing that were gaps for me. There were gaps for me in understanding uh, movement and movement under load and how to, how to improve that and to do so, uh, to do so. I think under load and, and get it to to stick with athletes uh, more consistently. So that was a huge uh, huge course for me, and it's kind of reshaped a little bit of how I cue different movements. It's as simple as uh, taking a deep breath on a back squat, I look at different parts now, and I teach that deep breath in terms of bracing differently than I did previously. Likewise with foot position and where the pressure is in the foot. So I haven't gotten away from squatting and power cleans and RDLs. I've just looked at I've looked at it from a different angle and used different cues to accomplish what I've always tried to accomplish. And I found that it's effective. Uh, and I'll continue using some of those concepts and looking into it. So that's one area that that was really helpful for me, cleaning up some of the specifics behind movements that I'll, I've used for a long time. will continue to. The other area for me is not necessarily uh, performance related. Uh, It was uh, actually through the University of Michigan. And I imagine that Texas and a lot of institutions have uh, leadership development coursework. Uh, So for us, it's LPD, it's Learning and Professional Development uh, Department. It's previously, I think it was HRD, uh, but it was uh, basically a full year program. They called it the Career Passport Program that uh, I enrolled in a few years ago. And there are certain, I think there were probably seven or eight, uh, categories of uh, this educational curriculum. Uh, and they offered maybe up to a dozen courses in each of those areas, those those categories. And you're required to take, I think, two or three from each to kind of check off your your passport um, for successful completion of the program. And some of them were, were more interesting than others. I took a course on uh, writing a policies and procedure manual, which was not as riveting as it sounds. So, um, but, but, but it was certainly, it was beneficial. And then I took several, several different courses on uh, interviewing skills and uh, resume cover, cover letter writing. And those are areas that for me are not only important for, for where I aspire to be in my career over the next 30 plus years, but it's important for, uh, for young coaches that come through the door that, that we don't want to be interns for more than a semester or two, that we don't want to spend in a, in a fellow position for more than a year or two, that we want to go on from here and get full-time jobs, better paying jobs and, and, and positions where they can, they can really start living a comfortable life and, and feel successful in their right as they continue to grow. Um, I just, last week I, I uh, helped a former intern that's finishing up grad school in, in the next four or five months, with a cover letter and resume, um, and I took the time with it because I enjoyed it. And that, and I sent him some of the stuff I did from that career development program. So, and that for me, that was I was super fortunate. It was a free, free of cost uh, for all employees that that enrolled in the program. The only cost to me was the time that, that I needed to take to 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 commit to the program to complete the coursework, and it was tremendous. And at this point, with Coursera. And uh, other online platforms that offer free or low cost uh, professional development and professional development coursework. It's, it's silly not to pursue that uh, in, in conjunction with addressing and improving the hard skill set that makes us successful as professionals uh, in strength and conditioning specifically. I think you talk about professionalism for me, and, and I think. I don't think there's a video that'll come to this but but i went home after after the day ended and i put on a button-down shirt and i put on a pair of pants that requires the use of a belt and i came in and, and i sat down at my my computer in the office because it's important to me to to put off as high level of professionalism as possible and carry myself not for the position that i'm currently in but for the positions i i aspire to be in that's uh, that's and that's good. not to it's not to say I want to take Mike's job. He's he's a great job as as my boss, but I aspire to be in in his seat and ultimately in the seats above him over the course of of my professional career in the next thirty plus years.
1: I'm gunning for your seat, Donnie.
2: Come on, Mike.
1: come on, Mike. I like I like when you think big. I'm coming for you. I have a ten year plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
0: You'll be right you
2: better. You, you, might not, you might want to watch your back. You better be careful around this guy. No,
0: Mike, Mike's crawling up the, the back side. I gotta keep an eye okay. on him. <laughs> um
1: as we wrap up here, um, last thing, Lou, for anyone listening who might want to connect with you to talk about whatever, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? Um, whether that's email, social media, et cetera.
2: Yeah, I think uh email and social media both work for me. Uh, my email is Actually, the same as, I think, my Twitter and, and Instagram handle, Twitter Twitter's probably a little bit better for me. Uh, I'm on a on singular Instagram post of my niece and I at Christmas a couple years ago. Uh, so my email is Porch L-E-W, porch, like front or back porch, at umich, U-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U. Uh, my Twitter handle's at uh, Porch again, L-E-W, porch, like front or back porch. Um, so you can check me out there. Um and shoot me a message. Uh always happy to have a conversation about uh training and growth and development. And and to me it's like I said earlier, it's an opportunity to to pay it forward for the people that have impacted my life, both those that know they have and those that maybe don't really even aren't even really aware of the fact that what they've done uh has helped me to grow to who I am and and to who I aspire to be.
1: Thanks a lot for your time today, Lou. That was awesome.
2: Yeah, I appreciate your guest time. It's uh, it's a cool opportunity, I think. I give you guys kudos for, for taking time to do this for for the strength and conditioning community. And and I think it's important and valuable. And I look forward to, at some point, seeing you guys in person. Right. Uh, whenever that time comes and and uh, shaking your hands and, and sitting down and having a coffee or two with you.
0: Yeah, we, we appreciate it. Lou, Coach Lou. And again, just echo Mike's sentiments. Uh, thank you for your time. And just for you, just taking just taking some moments to to carve out time to give back because I know there will be individuals that will listen to this for years to come uh, that they'll get a lot out of this. So thank you for your time and expertise and your professionalism today. So with that, we're going to call it a day. Coach Hanson, you ready to take this thing into 2021? Hopefully we're going to, coach Lou's going to lead us with some good vibes into 2021. Come on, coach Lou. Coach
1: Lee, are following up about
2: a thousand followers. So that's right. Oh shoot! Okay, I'm ready for it. <laughs> start, I'll start sending
1: it out to your cousins, aunts, uncles.
2: We, uh, I'll tell you what. We uh, obviously, Bo Sandoval. I mentioned him earlier is one of my my mentors, along with with Mike Mike Favor, my my current director and boss. Uh, so I, I did listen to your guys' podcast with him. I also, listen to Zach Evanesh, uh, Jersey guy, Jersey guy at heart actually a guy that I followed for a long time, uh, back to mm-hmm. his days, kind of along with Joe DeFranco. So it's uh, it's cool to be part of it and, and to be mentioned in the same breath with, with those guys and a lot of other people that you've had on this call and, and frankly, your staff. I I just, uh, this weekend I was texting back and forth with uh, Melissa a little bit. Uh, she had some nice things to say about the softball presentation and I learned a couple of tricks in the iPhone from her and replying to specific messages. So I'll tell you what, you never know who you're going to learn from or when you're going to learn Go it, ahead. but uh, you got some good people down there, so keep up the good work.
0: Thanks, Coach. Yeah, see, Coach, you're being coachable right there. There it is. You're, there's, your, there's your main key point. But uh, we have the feeling is mutual to you, to uh, Coach Lou, your Coach Faber, your host staff, nothing but the utmost respect admiration. You guys are just uh, a standard that we look to as well, so we'll just keep raising the bar. But, uh, hey, that's it for the day on the team behind the team here in Austin, Texas. Coach Lou, thank you for your time. Coach Mike Hanson, the co-host, you, you did an awesome job. We appreciate you, Coach, lining this up. So that's it from us, team behind the team. We'll catch you on the flip side. Peace. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.